All right, uh, we are gonna jump into this morning's message. And this is actually week three of a sermon series that we've been in called Imposters. And we have been looking at different false teachings or false gospels that pop up all around us, but actually even impact our own walks with Jesus. And if you were here a few weeks back, you heard us talk about the dangers of the prosperity gospel. Last week, we talked about the dangers of legalism and how legalism can often replace the truth of the good news of who Jesus is. And this week, we are going to talk about the dangers of permissive grace. All right, we're going to talk about what happens when people take God's grace and twist it, and how that can be a danger for us as we walk with Jesus, as we seek the true good news that comes out of Scripture. So let me give you the big idea for this morning's message. This is going to be kind of one sentence that we just unpack together all morning long. Here it is. God's grace is given to us to create a new life for us. It's not for maintaining our old ones. All right, so if you're a note taker, jot this down. If you're not a note taker, just keep this in mind because this is going to be the big idea that we unpack all morning long. It's that God's grace is given to us to create a new life for us. It's not for maintaining our old lives, the lives that we had before knowing Jesus. And as we unpack this big idea, there's going to be kind of three points that outline this morning's message. If you have a bulletin, this is on the back side of your bulletin. We're going to look at amazing grace. We're going to look at our permission problem, and then we're going to look at the real Jesus. So those are the three points outlining our message this morning. And this morning, we're going to be anchored to a passage in Romans. So if you have your Bible with you, you can uh, flip it open to Romans chapter 5. We're going to spend our time this morning anchored to Romans 5 verse 20 to chapter 6 verse 4. So we're just going to read the last two verses of chapter 5 and then the first four verses of chapter 6. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul really zooming in on God's grace and what makes it really, truly good news for us. So join me now in Romans 5, verse 20. It's going to be up on screen if you don't have your Bible with you. I'll be reading out the New Living Translation. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Rome. He says that God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin... Uh, ruled over all people and brought them to death. And now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. This is God's word, and it's true. The very first place the Apostle Paul wants to take us is he wants us to just sit with how amazing God's grace really is. And that's where we're going to start our message this morning. Point one is uh, the amazing grace that God has given us. Let's get to know the real thing before we talk about the fraud, before we talk about permissive grace. Let's talk about God's amazing grace. And that's exactly what Paul does in verse 20 and 21 of Romans 5. Let's just kind of reread what he says here in those two verses. First of all, Paul starts by saying that God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful 
they were. If you were here last week and we talked about legalism, right, what Paul is highlighting here is that the law is not meant to be the solution for our sin. It's meant to highlight our great need for a solution to our sin. And the amazing part of God's grace here that Paul's highlighting is that God did not root the solution for our sin in his law. No, he gave us the solution for our sin in his grace. If you keep reading in verse 21, Paul says, hey, sin has ruled over people and it's brought them to death. But guess what? Now God's wonderful grace rules instead. It gives us right standing with God. It results in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the first thing Paul wants to highlight about why God's grace is so amazing. It's because God's grace is the solution to our sin. God's not asking us to clean ourselves up on our own. No, God freely gives us undeserved favor, and it's in his undeserved favor, it's in his grace that he has a solution for our sin. And and if you're wondering, man, why is Paul so confident that the solution for the brokenness in his life is found in God? In God's grace, the, the answer to that is that it's because Paul has met Jesus, right? When you and I open up the New Testament, when we, when we look at Jesus, we see that he comes with a mission to give us God's grace. He, he shows up on earth, fully God, fully man, with a mission not to condemn sinners, but to give his life as a ransom for us, to offer us undeserving favor, to invite us into a new relationship with God. And that's the first thing Paul wants us to hear this morning, that God's grace is amazing because it's offered freely to us as the solution for our brokenness. We don't have to look for solutions anywhere else but the very person of Jesus. There's a second thing that Paul highlights here that really makes God's grace amazing, and it kind of shows up at the end of verse 20. This is what Paul says at the end of verse 20. He says, as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. I hope you caught what Paul just said there. Because what he's saying is, you can't outsin the grace of God. You can't outrun it. There's nothing in your past. There's nothing in your present. There will be nothing in your future that is too big for God's grace to rescue you from. There's nothing. Paul's trying to make that point. He's saying, hey, you might think that you're someone that God wants nothing to do with. You've done too much. You've said too much. You've damaged too much. But the Apostle Paul stands here today in Romans 5 saying, no, you're wrong. God's grace is amazing, so amazing that you can't out it. Let me put it a different way, right? Uh, the U.S. government has kind of some travel advisories that they'll give citizens when traveling. We can put them up right now. There's kind of four levels, and these are risk levels, right? And if you go to a level four country, the U.S. government says, hey, please don't, right? Before you get on the plane, please reconsider. These are usually war-torn countries, uh, places like Afghanistan, Somalia, uh, even Ukraine right now. And basically what the U.S. government is saying when they issue a level four is they're telling you as a citizen, hey, if you go to this country and you get in a pinch, we don't know if we can help you. We, we don't know if we can come and rescue you. So before you go, let's just have the conversation up front. <laughs> like, like, if you get yourself in a pinch while you're there, just, just know we're not really people you can call, <laughs> right? But guess what? God's grace knows no level four. 
There is no place that you can go. There is no area of your life that is outside of the reach of God's grace. His grace knows no boundaries. Any wall that's put up gets broken down. The Apostle Paul knows this personally in his own life. He was the furthest away from God's grace. But God's grace became more and more abundant for him the more and more he sinned. So quite frankly, what I have to tell you this morning, if you think you're outside of God's grace, you are in the most wonderful way wrong. God's grace is amazing because it's the solution for our sin and it's offered to all of us. And some of us really have a hard time with that because we really struggle with this idea of, I think I might be outside of his grace. I've done too much. But then there's others of us in the room who struggle with something else when it comes time to God's grace. We've become numb to it. And this might be you if you're a Christian. If you've known the Lord for a while, you might have become numb to just how amazing God's grace really is. Because you show up, you sing about it at church, right? You do Bible studies about God's grace. You hear messages about God's grace. And if you're really being honest with yourself this morning, God's grace has just become another part of your vocabulary when it comes time to hanging out with Christians. It's just a word you use, but it really doesn't have any effective movement in your life anymore. And if that's you this morning, I don't say this to condemn you. I just say this to relate with you because there are areas of all of our spiritual lives where we fall asleep. We lull our souls to sleep on certain areas of God's goodness to us. And God's grace might be one of those areas where you are just numb to it this morning. You sing about it, you study about it, but you're really just not that amazed by it anymore. If that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to pray something with David. In Psalm 51, verse 12, David prays this. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And really what, what I'm inviting you to pray with David is this. God, remind me what it cost you to show me grace. That's what David's praying. He's saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And when you pray that with David, what you're really saying is, God, remind me what it cost you to show me your grace. And when you pray that, what you're actually praying is, God, remind me who it cost you to show me grace. Because for God to show you his grace, it wasn't a what, it was a who. It was his only begotten son who he allowed to go to the cross and lay himself down as a sacrifice for you and for me. It was the son of God allowing himself to be separated from his father and then go into the tomb where he faced the penalty for our sin, which is death. That's what it cost God, to show you his grace. And when you ask God to remind you who it costs him to show you his grace, it's pretty hard to stay numb to it. You start to wake up You start to sing with John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see, It's so easy to fall asleep in different areas of our lives with the Lord, but, but this morning, don't let God's grace be something that you're numb to. Wake up to it. See it for what it is. It is amazing. It's the solution for all of our sin. No one can outrun it. Right? But when we take God's grace into our own hands and twist it, that's where problems start to happen. That's what I want to talk about with point two of this morning's message. 
which is our permission problem, right? Because a permissive grace, that first word permissive, has everything to do with permission, right? We're going to talk about what goes wrong when we put ourselves in permission over God's grace. So go back to Romans uh, with me. Let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6. So Paul just got done talking about how amazing God's grace is in the last two verses of chapter 5, and now he's transitioning. In in the first verse of chapter 6, he asks a pretty funny question. It's meant to be comedic, so you can giggle if you want to. But this is what Paul says. He says, well then, uh, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? This question is meant to be absurd, right? So, so hopefully you see it that way. What, what Paul's doing is he's bringing up a really big misuse of God's grace, and he's posing it as a question because he wants to talk about this issue. He knows that we as Christians can struggle with this. We, we put ourselves in permission of things too often, and if we do that with God's grace, we can really get things wrong. And what could go wrong if we put ourselves in permission over God's grace? Well, let's start with a few things. Often we give ourselves God's grace generously when we ought not to, and we never give it to our enemies, right? Yeah, a lot can go wrong when we put ourselves in permission over God's grace. We often will kind of take it and we'll just accessorize our lives with it will return to old ways of living, just using God's grace as therapy, not realizing that God's amazing grace is meant to invite us into new life with him. Instead, we'll just take his grace and we'll return to our old lives, old patterns, old addictions, old relationships that the Lord has called us out of. And often, what we do with God's grace is we just use it to excuse our bad behavior. We live by the mantra well, it might be better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Because at the end of the day, I know that well, Jesus promised to forgive me, right? So, so I can just do whatever I want, knowing that at the end of the day, if I come back to him with the right words, with the right heart, he'll just forgive me. And if we treat God's grace this way, we end up just missing the whole thing. It's, his amazing grace is meant to invite us into new life with him, but instead we, we take his grace, we do violence to it, and we just head right back into our old lives, the lives that we had before him. And, and if you're living by that mantra in your own walk with Jesus right now, if it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right, if, if you really just take a moment to just think about what's being said there, what, What it's really saying is, hey, I will kind of go over here and do whatever I want, knowing that it offends someone and it hurts them. But I think they're the kind of person that I can still get away with this and then go back and smooth talk them into being okay with me. What that's called is manipulation. What that's called is an abuse of a relationship, and that's exactly what happens when you and I put ourselves in permission over God's grace and just use it as an excuse to return to sin in our lives. Ultimately, the biggest issue with permissive grace that we all should have is that when we put ourselves in permission over God's grace, it makes us the imposters, right? It makes you and me an imposter, right? Because if we put ourselves in permission over God's grace and we just use it to return to our old ways of living, 
What ends up happening is we just dress up and play the part of church without ever really being the, the new creations that Jesus calls us to be. And you end up kind of looking like this kid, right? It's, it's kind of a funny picture, but the, the clothing in this picture tells you that the people wearing it should be in their mid-40s going to work, right? But you look a little bit deeper, and it's a kid who's maybe eight years old, right? If you live by permissive grace in your life, this is the kind of imposture you might end up being, right? You're just dressing up like church. You're just going through the motions, and from the outside, people are like, man, they've got it together, right? They're crushing this, this church thing. They're serving. They're going to community group. They're awesome. They gave me my bulletin on the way in today. But if somebody sat down with you and looked a little bit deeper in, their li- in your life, what would they find? Would they find a mature Christian or would they find that in areas of your life you're still a toddler? You're still learning what it means to grow up in your faith because you've been using God's grace as an excuse to just stunt your growth in certain areas because you're just way too comfortable still in old ways and old patterns and old sin. Right? Permissive grace is dangerous for many reasons, but the, the biggest reason it's dangerous is because it makes us the imposters. Uh, another reason why permissive grace is really dangerous for you is because it gives you a fake Jesus, right? Permissive grace will tell you that uh, the kind of Jesus who's with you is the kind of Jesus who will always have your back no matter what you do, you know, no matter what mess you get in, right? He's just going to be there giving you a high five saying, ooh, that was a rough one, but you're all good. I, I got you covered, right? And don't get me wrong, God's grace is amazing. We just talked about it. It it reaches into every part of our lives. There's no place that we can go. There's nothing we can do to outrun his grace. But his amazing grace is meant to invite us into newness of life with him. It's not meant to just accessorize our lives as we return to sin. It's not meant to excuse sin in our lives. And so let's, instead of talking about permissive grace and the fake Jesus it gives us, let's talk about the real Jesus and how he shows us amazing grace and not permissive grace. This is point three of this morning's message, the real Jesus. Let's go back to Romans 6. In in verse 2, we'll pick up, and, and we'll hear Paul's answer to the question he just posed to us, the question that highlighted how ridiculous permissive grace is. Uh, Paul responds to that question by saying, of course not. (laughs) Don't live by permissive grace. That's ridiculous. You'll go nowhere in your faith. God's grace is meant to invite you into new life, not just to help you maintain your old life. But then he goes on. He says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. As Paul is pointing the church in Rome to the real Jesus, he does so by reminding them of the significance of baptism. And he says, hey, go back and remember what you proclaimed when you were baptized. There's nothing magical about baptism. It doesn't save you, but it is significant. It proclaims something powerful. Because when someone's baptized, they're going public with their faith. And when they go back in the water, what they're saying is, I identify with the death of Jesus. And I'm willing to put my old self up on the cross with him. 
And then when they come up out of the water, what they're proclaiming is that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and they believe that now they have new life with him because of his grace. Because of the good news of the gospel, they can have a new life with Christ. And what Paul's saying here is if, if you really mean that, you're leaving no room for permissive grace. Because permissive grace has everything to do with just you maintaining your old life, but if you really mean it when you are dunked back in the water and you're saying, yeah, my old self is on the cross with Jesus now, well then, how can you go back to it? No, it's, it's dead, it's left in the water, right? You're heading into new life now with Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus who looks at his followers and says, deny yourself and pick up a cross, follow me daily, this is the kind of love that demands our all. Like we just sang. God wants more for us, and that's why he gives us amazing grace and not permissive grace. He has no interest in us just maintaining the brokenness and the darkness that he found us in. He wants newness of life for us. Now let me just be clear about one thing. What I'm talking about right now does not mean that when you become a Christian, you're perfect, all right? I'm a case study for why that's true. (laughs) I've been walking with the Lord for a few years now, and I still have ups and downs, and you will too. So this is not saying that you are living with permissive grace if you sin, right? That's not what anyone's saying this morning. But what we are saying is you might be caught up in permissive grace if you are excusing patterns of sin in your life that look no different now than when they did before Jesus met you. So some of us might just need to take some time this morning with the real Jesus who calls us out of our old lives, and we might need to just ask him, hey, Lord, is there any area of my life that hasn't changed since I met you? Is there anything I still need to put up on the cross with you? Because I believe you have more for me. I believe there's newness of life that your amazing grace wants to invite me into. I actually want to kind of close this message uh, by just looking at a moment in Jesus's life and ministry where he, where he shows amazing grace instead of permissive grace. And this moment happens in John chapter 8. Uh, Jesus is walking uh, through town, and the religious leaders in that area want to trap Jesus with a really difficult situation. And so they bring a woman before Jesus who had just been caught in the act of adultery, And you can imagine for this lady, uh, she was really embarrassed and she was really exposed. But I also need you to know how dangerous the situation is for this lady. Uh, Because in the Old Testament uh, law and custom, in the Mosaic law, uh, this kind of sin was punishable by death. And often the way that they would kill someone found in this kind of sin is by picking up rocks and beating them to death. All right, so this is not just embarrassing, this is life-threatening stuff. And the, the religious leaders bring this lady in front of Jesus, and they say, hey, what do you think we should do about her? And Jesus responds in a way that shocks them all. He says, hey, I, I think the person who has the right to judge her and even take her life from her is the person in this crowd who's never sinned. They can begin her execution. And then after he says this, he bends over and he starts drawing in the dirt. <laughs> And it's like, what's going on here? And, and eventually the crowd is, is talking with themselves and they all start to leave because they all start to realize that none of them meet the requirements, the, the perfect righteous requirements to pass judgment on her, to take her life. And they all leave. 
eventually when it's just Jesus and the woman, he walks up to her and he says, hey, where did all of your accusers go? Are there any left? And she says, I have none. They've all gone. And, and Jesus replies to her and he says, neither do I. Go now and sin no more. Let's just pause there and really unpack the significance of this moment. If you rewind all the way back to what Jesus said to the crowds, where he said, hey, the, the person who is without sin, they have the right to begin her judgment. They have the right to execute her. If you look around the crowd that day, the only person who met that requirement was who? Jesus. But what did he do instead of picking up a rock? He, he drew in the dirt instead until everybody else wisened up to leave, right? <laughs> and then he went up and he, he asked her something. He said, hey, where are all of your accusers? Knowing that he was the only righteous accuser. And she says, oh, they've gone, there's no one left. And, and then he replies, he says, neither do I. In that moment, he showed her undeserving favor. He showed her grace, but he made it amazing grace and not permissive grace by what he said next. He said, go and sin no more. He said, hey, here's my amazing grace. And guess what it's all about? It's about you finding new life with me. My grace is not about bailing you out so that you can just return to the same old brokenness, to the same old darkness. He was showing her amazing grace. And he shows that to you and me today as well. He invites us into a life with him that's new. Let's be a church, let's be a people who are marked by amazing grace, who are marked by walking into new life with Christ, not taking grace and twisting it to be permissive so that we can just maintain our old ways of living. Now, I wanna invite you to take a next step this morning in hearing this message. If you're someone who's new to church and you're still just processing who Jesus is, I wanna invite you to consider knowing Jesus to be amazing grace for you and your story. There's nothing in your life outside of his reach. He will invite you into a new life with God that's transformative. If you're here this morning and you're realizing that you're numb to God's grace, that you've just kind of been sleeping on it, would you wake up today by praying with David, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, remind me who it costs you to give me your grace. And if you're someone this morning who is twisting God's grace, you're just using it as an excuse to maintain old ways of living, just using it as an excuse to maintain sin in your life, would you see that what Jesus has for you is so much better? Would you see him offer you his amazing grace with the invitation to go and sin no more? Come and start life with him, no matter what you're struggling with. We're gonna have a prayer team up front after service. I would love to chat with you as well. But guys, let's be a church that's amazed by God's grace and changed by it. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for what you've given us in your son, Jesus, that, that you sent him not to condemn the world, but to offer his life as a ransom for all who would believe in him. So God, would you help us to wake up to your amazing grace, to see that we're not outside of your amazing grace, but also, Lord, help us to not twist your grace and, and make it about ourselves. Lord, help us to live changed lives because of you, Jesus. It's in your name that